a citizen she is. So we're glad to have you back. Welcome. Um, a couple others. Uh, let's see. Doug Hunnicky, as some of you have learned, has had really bad foot trouble for a couple of years. He's been in a ton of pain. He's a retired pastor here, Pastor Emeritus. He's going to have a lengthy surgery this Friday to really just reconstruct his foot. So it's going to be a really significant event. Um, it's going to be uh, a long and demanding recovery, months and months. Um, and so he would love your prayers, but he's not going to be able to take calls or visitors at the hospital and, and uh, for a month or more afterwards, no visitors or calls at home. So we know you want to help out, but it's best done from afar. And we just pray for his successful recovery and for Nancy as she cares for him. And we'll give you updates as we uh, learn more about them. I know today Hallmark tells us it's Father's Day, and so if you're celebrating, uh, God be with you in your celebrations. Um, I also know that sometimes that's a day that's hard for people, whether they uh, have lost their father, or maybe they didn't have the kind of father they wish they'd had, or the relationship with their child they wish they had. So uh, we join you in the fullness of that experience. Uh, Sina, where's Sina? I saw her. Is she still here? Yeah, uh, over in the back. Many of you come to our Wednesday class, Nocina, and we're so glad to have her and her husband here. Um, she's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and um, we just want you to know we love you, and we'll keep praying for you. And if she gets up and, and heads out, um, it's, it's just hard to sit through a full day in a hot sanctuary, but we wanted her to know that. Uh, that's all I have. Joys and concerns from you all. Elizabeth. Elizabeth shares that her son, who'd had a, another stroke and had been hospitalized in the week, just went home and is doing better. Thank you. Yeah, yeah Denny. That's a smart dad right there. Denny shares some of the Father's Day celebration with the mothers in the room. Wise man. Uh, please, yeah, Carol. Carol uh, prays for a friend who, after living here for many years and, and north here for many years, is moving to San Diego. And we know that those transitions later in life can be really difficult, so we pray for a smooth transition. I saw a hand in the back. Mimi. Mimi gives thanks for a successful knee surgery and all the support 
that um, she had from you all, and she's feeling so well, she's going to challenge anybody who wants to play her one-on-one -on -one in basketball today <laughs> to meet at 2 o'clock. Um, another Thanksgiving I want to offer, and that is for the, the youth trip that got back yesterday. Uh, we had, they had a great week in San Diego, and we've started to hear reports, so we're grateful for not only the young people, but also we had three adult volunteers, I believe, who gave up a week to do that, as well as our youth director, Jeff. Let's join in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we know that you have heard the words of our lips, and you know the prayers that reside deep in our hearts, unspoken. So be they prayers of joy or concern, of question, of confusion, or of conviction. We give them all to you as an offering. And we pray these things, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The scripture reading this morning comes from Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 9. If you'd like to follow along, exactly written here. That is exactly what I'll be saying. Not in Japanese. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Here ends the reading. Bruce stole that line. That was my line. Actually, you should have seen him when we, when we, he knew he was going to read the scripture. And then we pointed it out to him there on the wall and he went. Anyway. Before I go into the second reading from scripture, I'd like to take a couple moments of personal privilege and introduce some people who are here. Um, several friends, Helen, Marita, um, but particularly, yeah, my two daughters are both here, and uh, I appreciate them. There are two people here, however, who directly impinge on the fact that I became, or I became ordained, went into ministry, and the one is the Reverend Donald Sears, who uh, did the call to worship Don saved me from a life of fundamentalism when I became a convert the gentleman who did that baptized me was not a fundamentalist but he was pretty close to that so then I ran into Don who had an open mind and a a way of encouraging me to look at uh, scripture differently And the other person is uh, my friend Tamayo, Tamayo Sato. Tamayo and I have been friends for 60 years, probably. And uh, we were married for 20 of those, 21 of those. But we've been close friends the rest of the time. And we continue to be. And all through college and, and seminary and some traumatic stuff in Brazil, it was Tamayo who was by my side and who took the chances with me. And so I'm very appreciative. God has given me great gifts in these two people. So, moving on. Our second scripture reading is from the Gospel of Thomas. These are the secret sayings which the living Jesus spoke and which Didymus Judas Thomas wrote down. And he said, whoever finds the interpretation of these sayings will not experience death. 
Jesus said, let him who seeks continue seeking until he finds. And when he finds, he will become troubled. When he becomes troubled, he will be astonished. And he will rule over all. Jesus said, if those who lead you say to you, see, the kingdom of heaven is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will precede you. If they say to you it's in the sea, then the fish will precede you. Rather, the kingdom is inside of you, and it is outside of you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will become known, and you will realize that it is you who are the sons of the living Father. But if you will not know yourselves, you dwell in poverty, and it is you who are that poverty. Jesus said, Recognize what is in your sight, and that which is hidden from you will become plain to you. For there is nothing hidden that will not become manifest. In 2009, I was visiting Japan, and my good friend and brother from another mother, from my Air Force days, my college days, Sonao Yokobiki, I mentioned that I was looking while there for a wall hanging with a few words of spiritual significance. So Sonao tried to help me find the right scroll, but we found nothing that spoke to me. A few weeks later, I had a phone call from him asking for my favorite scripture passage. I have many passages with deep meaning for me, but perhaps the deeper still is this passage from Jeremiah. It speaks of the source of my call, not just to ministry, but to life. My heart resonates with these words of God speaking to Jeremiah's heart. Three months passed, and a package arrived with this scroll. Sanao had commissioned a national treasure calligrapher. They have those in Japan, national treasures who are alive. And he had to make it for me. And the scroll actually hung right there in this narthex, uh, in this chancel for a little while, and then hung in the narthex for a number of weeks. And next to it, for those few people here who can't read it, there is an English translation. I did consider sharing a little more of my own story today, but I'm choosing not to take the time. If you're interested, each of my two daughters pounded me about the head and shoulders uh, to get me to, to write about my own life. And after years of being beaten severely, I finally succumbed. I have a personal website, norbay.org, and if you're enough of a masochist, you can find my autobiography there. It's called My Life So Far. 
And no, I didn't steal that from Jane Fonda. I did, many of you may not know the second reading from the Gospel of Thomas. Tell you a little bit about it. Probably written about the 55th year after Jesus' birth, the mid-50s of the first century. There's some older scholarship that suggests, no, it's much later, but the, the latest thinking is that it's earlier than almost anything else in the, in the New Testament. Why, you might ask, is it not then in the canonical New Testament? There are two reasons. It's not a narrative gospel. There's no storyline like there is with the, the other four gospels. It's just Jesus' sayings. Secondly, and more to the point, Irenaeus, the bishop of what is now Lyon, France, in the 200s, when this was being, when the canon was being decided, he insisted there could only be four Gospels. Very logical reasoning. There are four columns that hold up the canopy of heaven. So there couldn't be more than four Gospels. It's a magic number. I share these explanations first to make the point that each of these passages we read hold up the connection with the ground of our being, God, the origin, and that's the origin of calling as a heretic. It's the heart of both passages. The Presbyterian Church says it ordains people to specific ministries, but then it goes on and says that ordination is normally a lifelong designation. But that's a bit of hubris. Or as my Jewish family would have said, chutzpah. The reality is that ordination doesn't come from the Presbyterian Church, but rather it comes from having a Jeremiah experience with God. Jeremiah's encounter is not unique. Every person has the potential to wake up to his or her calling. If you pay attention, you may hear some small, still voice which says, Margaret or Frank, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I consecrated you. There's really nothing special about David or Rob about Don or Bethany. Every person has only to quietly be present to sense God's presence in them, to pay attention to the still small voice in which God speaks and says, I love you, you are mine. Now get off your keister and do something. <laughs> be a heretic. We need to stop demanding that God speak in words that are comfortable to us. Traditional words we've heard before. Perhaps we need to abandon words altogether. We need to be comfortable with heresy. Christianity is a great religion. 
I know that there are crazies like Pat Robertson and Franklin Graham and John Hagee and others, and they continue to keep embarrassing us and even make us wonder at times. But throughout the centuries, Christianity's core has been the care and concern for the human family, care and concern for the universe, celebrating God's love. Despite the professional hierarchy, the church has followed Jesus best when it has listened to the words of the prophets and to Jesus' words in Matthew 25. Buddhism, for example, is also another great religion, as are Judaism and, and some others. Each religion has something that is its strength. If the strength of Christianity is in passages like Matthew 25, the strength of Buddhism is its awareness of presence in silence and subtlety. Each of the major religions is greater than its official doctrines, its official creeds, its beliefs. However, each religion has a tendency to carve its doctrines into granite. Each has great need for its own heretics. So what is a heretic? A heretic is someone who calls into question the common wisdom of the day. The word was thrown around as an attack against theological enemies back in the very early days of the church. There were about 300 different versions of the Christian church in the earliest days. That sounds hard for us to believe, but they didn't have an internet or telephones. So if a church was set up 20 miles away, it rarely communicated. So it was easy to see how the differences multiplied. But at its core, heresy is the need of the follower of Jesus to challenge tradition and dogma, to pay attention to following the way of Jesus, not succumbing to doctrines and creeds. By its very nature, common wisdom is neither common nor necessarily wisdom. I remember when in the late 1960s, there were people writing articles, speaking out in concern about the economy and the way it was using and misusing the environment. Some were saying that we are bringing calamity to the world, that in a few years we would see oceans rise, the Arctic ice melt, the shores recede. Common wisdom said, no way. We puny humans cannot really damage this earth. It's too big. We now know that the heretics were right. We see the proof in the melting of the glacial ice, in the droughts that cause crops to fail all over the world, in the sinking of whole island nations into the Pacific, Common wisdom was wrong, and heresy was right. That's why Jeremiah's task was heresy, 
Call all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord, and tell them they shall come and all of them shall set their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its surrounding walls and cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them. To all those rulers, heresy. So Jeremiah was called before he was formed in his mother's womb to be a heretic against common wisdom. Here are a few other heretics. Jesus. We don't think of Jesus as a heretic, but he was. Why do you think the Pharisees and the ultimately the Roman rulers were so angry and opposed to Jesus? If he had not threatened common wisdom and therefore their power, he would not have gained the following that threatened the established elite. Yes, Jesus followed Jewish tradition and rules most of the time, but he was quick to violate the rules when it promoted humans. We can go back before Jesus. Let's start with Moses. He could have gone along to get along. He was well placed in the ruling hierarchy. If he didn't make waves, he could have had a plush life. But no, he had to stick his nose in where it didn't belong. Elijah is another example. When all the people in common wisdom were worshiping Baal, who seemed to be granting great harvests and prosperity, only Elijah stood against Baal's priests. He also had some interesting moments calling the rulers to task. Micah. Now there's a heretic for you. He stands up against the corporate and business interests of his day as well as the national rulers. He stood up against the common wisdom. He spoke against other prophets who took money for their prophecy. There are people today who pop into my mind and I will leave them there, but you know you have your list. At the end, Micah says, He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I could go on to Amos, let justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, or to Hosea or Isaiah or many others. You've heard of Hildegard of Bingham? Okay, you don't have to nod. I'll just trust that you do. She was an amazing woman heretic of the 11th century. This was a day when women were there to be quiet and to tend the needs of, of the priests. And she pushed against the hierarchy and was the first woman of the Roman Catholic Church allowed to preach in public. She was able because she pushed her heresy and forced the church to accept her skills her knowledge, her spiritual awareness. 
the medieval rhetorical arts included preaching, letter writing, poetry, and song. And Hildegard participated in all of those arts as a female. She fought to go beyond the bans on women's social participation and interpretation of scripture. The acceptance of public preaching by this woman does not fit the stereotype of the time. But then Hildegard was a heretic. I'll mention only two more. These two because they've become associated in, and one of them is, is um, contemporary. Matthew Fox was a Dominican Catholic priest, but he was honoring all of creation as an original blessing, a blessing that God has given, and not honoring original sin. Creation spirituality integrates the wisdom of Eastern and Western spirituality and global indigenous cultures and takes it all and integrates it with the latest emerging scientific understanding of the universe and the passion of creativity. It is both a tradition and a movement celebrated by mystics and agents of social change from different ages and different cultures. It also happens to be the tradition of the historical Jesus himself, since it is the wisdom tradition of Israel. Fox was censored by the Roman Catholic Church for his teaching. Among the ideas that he publicized and that the church councils did not like were that he called God mother. I've heard that in this church. He preferred the concept of original blessing over original sin. He worked too closely with Native American spiritual teachers and he did not condemn homosexuality. He was defrocked, but then welcomed into the Episcopal Church as a priest. Among Matthew Fox's accomplishments is his studies of the final heretic that I'm gonna mention, his studies of Meister Eckhart, a 14th century mystic. Meister Eckhart is the last heretic that I'm gonna talk about I couple him with Matthew Fox because of the excellent research and books that Fox has written about Eckhart. Run, don't walk to Book Passage and buy Fox's book, Meister Eckhart, A Mystic Warrior for Our Time. And no, they don't pay me. You will note that several Eckhart quotes are on the front of our order of worship. Maybe that will whet your appetite. One of the most provocative remarks, though, that he made is that human nature is such that we are, we really, whatever else we're doing, we are searching for God, that it is in the nature of being human. Eckhart's most important idea, and one that upset the church hierarchy most, is that Jesus Christ is the word eternally born within us, that the eternal birth of the word from the Father is 
now born in time in human nature, that if nothing separates our souls and God, the birth of the hidden word takes place in the depths of our souls. This teaching of his returns over and over again in his sermons. With that, I bring you back to Jeremiah. God comes to us as the ground of our being, calls us to be heretics, to accept nothing from orthodoxy that doesn't accord with our own experience of God, of the ground of our being. God who encompasses all that we are, all that we do, all that we encounter in life. Or to quote Paul, another heretic, by the way, in Acts, Paul is quoted saying, in him we live and move and have our being. Being a heretic is more important than being ordained. It is central to being true to God, whom we find not out there someplace in the sky or in the sea. As Jesus said, if the kingdom is in the heavens, then the birds get there first. And at the sea, we get beat by the fish. But it is in you and in us and in our ground of being. Jesus said, those who seek should not seek, not stop seeking until they find. And when they find, they will be disturbed. And when they are disturbed, they will marvel and will reign over all. They will be heretics.
You may be seated. A few items to highlight as we go back out into the world. Uh, first is the weekly sermons are now available via podcast. So if you go to iTunes or other search engines and put in Westminster Presbyterian, there are, of course, many churches with this name, but our logo pops up pretty early. So if you'd like to uh, get the worship services that way, please do so. Um, a week from Thursday, I'll be team teaching uh, a day-long retreat out at Green Gulch Zen Center uh, entitled Wakefulness in a Time of Ecological Unrest. You can register for that on the Marin Interfaith Council website. With the turning of the season, the Spiritual Life Commission is hosting a labyrinth walk this Wednesday at 5.30. Uh, our, our mission partner, Julie Barnes, will be facilitating that, so I encourage you to attend. Um, many of you uh, may not know, but David is a, one of the leaders of our 8.30 Faith Cafe every Sunday. So if you want to be in a group where you can ask critical questions, raise important topics, and engage in fellowship, I invite you uh, to that each Sunday. I will say that that class is taking the summer off for July and August, but they'll be back after that, and I encourage you to attend. Uh, there will be cake and a reception for David and uh, his guest today, so I encourage you to s stick around after the service for that. But I will say, having been through this service once, you're not going to want to miss the postlude. So post-postlude, go get the cake. <laughs> and now please rise as you're able for hymn 372.
David said I had five sentences to do a sort of chargey thing <laughs> against him or for him and at you all. Well, how can one do that for an 81-year-old who's been after it all the time and has all that chutzpah and all that chorus grace of God in him that we've heard about today? Uh, you know, this is all I've written. Uh, and it's a little more than five sentences. It's 5.83 or something like that. And I've tried to memorize it because I don't like to read things, but I can't contain myself because as I try to tell the story of my relationship with David or say anything by way of charge to him and to you, I find myself spinning off into chutzpah story after chutzpah story, and it would go on and on and on. This is a way that I can contain myself. Every once in a while I say to my beloved wife, why don't I shut up now? You know what she says? Yes, why don't you? <laughs> Corporate Japanese Christians, cooperative ones, in the 1950s saw problems in the proliferation of bars and brothels around U.S. bases in their country. Wouldn't someone please come and help them reach out in other peaceable ways to GIs and be real hosts? We Presbyterians saw an ecumenical mission possibility and sent short-term fraternal workers there to help. And pretty soon, outside Johnson Air Base, west of Tokyo, there appeared the Amaeus Roadhouse. And who should walk in but a dapper young Texan Airman of the Month in 1957. My wife and I were working there at the time. And he quickly got the name of Tex. Ping pong, skiaki, language lessons, Bible study, chess, backyard or barbecued uh, whale meat sandwiches opened up a lot of conversation. And oh, did that one always have a lot to say. <laughs> you know about that, don't you? You don't need to be charged with that, I'm pretty sure. He was a new Christian, alive with personal post-war questions. In a period of a year, he found free time to climb Fuji with Genji and a group of 20. Visit Awajishima, the home of that man, Sanao Yokoiki, and meet Sanao's adoptive family. David Piddle fished in for elusive little tiny fish in mountain streams in Japan with a retired United Church of Christ pastor and slurped soba in a rural train station with Suzwa and others. Tex won at chess, brought new ping pong equipment to the center, and brought other airmen into the fellowship. He became a brother to us all. You scudder, you. In 1960, who's that standing by my parents in a little tiny airport in central Pennsylvania to welcome us here as his home from Japan, now five of us? 
this one over here. Yep, Piddle, the same friend. The spirits at work generating loyalty, questioning thought, international experience, and Christian imagination. After discharge, David returns to Tokyo for four years at prestigious International Christian University. Now back here at a Sanin Somo Seminary, marriage with beloved Tamayo, ordination in 1967, service in Brazil, the adoption of Frankie Francis, then service in Ohio and California. Strengths of mind and heart and will, Mark David, heretic. <laughs> Faith means exploration. His story is enough to challenge the individual soul, even congregations, even presbyteries. Do we think at 81 he'll rust out or wear out? Can a motorcycling pace and vivid Christian life contributions be maintained to the end? We know what we wish for him today and through him. And so we offer thanks for David Morris Piddle's disturbing different brotherhood. Fresh questions answered robustly in love for Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. May you press on, David Morris Piddle, as God's grace gift to us all. And by the way, Chris, Andy, Katie, Becky, and Will all ordered me to give you an affectionate hug today, and I'm going to do that if I can get my arms around it. I'm 